Well, if you have your Bibles or you can turn along and look with me in the bulletin as we focus in our attention on Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, the very final chapter of this marvelous book. We're going to look at just a couple of verses together from Hebrews chapter 13, and we'll look at them briefly uh, this morning by God's grace, as we will have this is, the installation service is a little bit more lengthy than our average uh, services, and so I'm going to keep my remarks as much as possible to a minimum as we look at Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8, and then again, verses 17 and 18. Let's look at God's Word together. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray briefly together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. It is given for our teaching, for our correction, for our reproof, for our training in righteousness. And this morning we want to hear it by the wings of the Spirit. We want to know it and its power in the way that you originally intended to give it. And the way that you would want our hearts to receive it now in our own particular time and space in history. So bless the ears that hear, that the hearts that they would believe, and the wills that they would obey, that we would follow Christ and walk according to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's so many things I want to say about these first few verses that we're looking at here in Hebrews 13. So I'm going to do my very best to be, to be timely this morning, and I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to give us more time in the future to talk about what it means to be elders and shepherds of the flock of God. This is such an important subject, and one that I'm afraid is often neglected in our day and time. And so I hope this morning, even as you think about shepherds and elders, you might have a whole series of emotional responses to that. There might be encouragement and a blessing that immediately enters your mind. You may have stories and memories of elders and shepherds who have cared for you. You may remember past pastors who have died, of whose remembrances you have a great blessing from. You may have a series of negative emotions about being neglected or the felt sense of being neglected of church hurt or a variety of pains that have come from elders or leaders in the past. Whatever those emotions are this moment, I want us to honor those, that they're present here in this room. I know for me, I have a collection of them. As an elder, I have a collection of those emotions about eldership. 
And I want us to honor those, to note those in the presence of the Lord this morning, but I simultaneously want us to lay them aside. Lay them aside because I want us to hear fresh from the Word of God this morning. It's so easy to have our experience of church be the lens through which we hear the Word of God rather than let the Word of God be the lens through which we hear it and let that move into the church. And so I want to encourage you by faith this morning to lay those aside and say, Lord, give me fresh ears to hear and a fresh heart to believe and to obey the teachings of your word and to trust that everything has been given for the profit of your people. And that's the purpose that God has here in Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to look at under this, uh, these, two, these few verses under just two headings this morning. We're going to look at the elders calling to the church and then we're going to look at the church's calling to the elders. So we're going to look first at this elders, the elders calling to the church, and we'll spend the primary amount of our time right here in this first point, and we'll just make a note of the church's calling to the elders at the close of our time together today. Let's start by looking at verse 17 together. The Apostle Paul writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they give watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I want you to notice first what an elder is to do. He is to keep watch over your soul. That's what he's called to do here. And he's to do so with this understanding that he will be held accountable for the keeping watch over your soul. So in a very real sense, we have the what the elder is to do and, and the disposition or the mindset or the heart by which the elder does it. He, he keeps watch over your soul, but he does it with the acknowledgement that this is not a responsibility he can shirk and that one day all will be known before Almighty God when he is called to account for the souls that have been given under his care. Now, let that settle on you in the soberness of that call. Just feel the soberness of that call for just a minute as we have, we have Randy and we have Jim coming before us this morning to be installed as elders in this local congregation. These are men, believe it or not, this is remarkable to me, these are men who have served as elders in other congregations and bear the scars of doing so as shepherds of God's people. And guess what? They came here to Cornerstone and they're willing to do it again. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. I don't, that you, you might think that that's not, but listen, I know the stories of these men. I'm honored by the fact that they're bringing to bear as Christ's men the marks of Christ's ministry in their own body, as the Apostle Paul would put it, and in their own soul and have said, yes, I still believe the Lord has called me to shepherd the flock of God. So I'm honored by that. And they have this sense of knowing that they will be held accountable for the way in which they serve within this local flock. That's a sober, sober word here from the Apostle Paul in Hebrews. Now, if it were still Advent or Christmas and you heard me say the words, keeping watch over, you would expect me to conclude that phrase with their flocks by night. That's what you would expect to hear because you know very well that the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night when the angels came into the scene and rend open the heavens with the glory of the Lord and announce the good news of great joy that a Savior had been born, that this day in the city of David there was Jesus Christ, this baby, this Savior, this long-awaited one. 
Well, this phrase, this keeping watch over, connects us to this idea of shepherding. That's the reason there's consonance between the shepherds of Luke chapter 2 and the shepherding responsibility of elders as described here in Hebrews 13. Paul is saying that the work of shepherds in caring for sheep is analogous to the work of elders in caring for souls. That's what he's saying. He's saying that the way that a shepherd cares for sheep is the way that elders care for the souls that have been entrusted to them in a local congregation. Now Peter makes the very same point in Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, the very end of that epistle, he gives this command, I exhort you elders among you as a fellow elder. This is elder to elder talk that Peter has given us here at the end of that first epistle, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as one who walks in those as an elder and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Here's the command he gives to the elders shepherd the flock of God. That's what he says. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, when you hear Peter say that as a command, we hear Paul here in Hebrews chapter 13 say, keep over, watch over the the souls of God's people. We can see that this, this, this metaphor, this description of shepherding is key to what it means to be an elder in a local congregation. And it's, it's core to, in fact, the Bible's teaching from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In fact, if you look back over the patriarchs of the Old Testament, what you will find is that most of them shepherded sheep before they shepherded people. Think of of David. As Samuel comes to anoint him to be the king over Israel, where was he? He was out in the field keeping sheep, his father's sheep. And, And as Samuel comes and as each of the boys are examined to whether they would be the one in whom would be the next king of Israel, we're told that, no, there must be one more. And yes, guess what he's already doing? He's shepherding. He already has in the DNA of his job description the the makings of a man who will be able to shepherd the people of God as the king of Israel. But we could go further back to Moses. You remember it was Moses on the hillside of Horeb keeping his father-in-law's sheep where he begins to see a burning bush. And out of that burning bush comes a voice that tells Moses that he has been called not to shepherd these sheep, but to shepherd the people of Israel, to lead them out of slavery and bondage through the wilderness into the promised land, the land of Canaan. Two of the greatest figures of the Old Testament, Moses and David, and we could go further, but it's simply to note that from Old Testament to New Testament, this picture of a shepherd has been core to the picture of those who are caretakers in ministry of the flock of God. It's not surprising then that the term pastoral is an old Latin term that originally referred to the tending and the keeping of sheep. In fact, today, for those of you who are literary scholars among us, you know, we'll sometimes refer to a piece of literature as pastoral, and we don't mean that it has a preacher in it. Now, it might have a preacher in it, But the goal of saying something is pastoral is to say it's agricultural, it's agrarian, it's field-like. It's a place where animals are taken care of. So it was early that this word was used for the purposes of shepherding sheep, but it's only later that it's used as a reference to tending or caring of souls. You see, as Paul takes up this keeping watch over our souls, he is mindful of this large biblical tradition. And he knows that the Lord Jesus Christ alone is one who actually fulfilled that biblical tradition. 
That in John chapter 10, he says, in light of David being a shepherd, in light of Moses being a shepherd, in light of the fact that as Ezekiel spoke negatively, often of the false shepherds and the false teachers who often devoured the people of God rather than cared and tended for their souls, Jesus came as the good shepherd who lays down his life for a sheep. You see, this is in the background of Hebrews chapter 13 when this instruction is given that the entire biblical import of this thing called shepherding is being brought to bear and its singular, its singular focus on this term of elder shepherd. This one who has come to caretake for the souls of those entrusted to him. Now, it's easy to speak about this in a biblical theological way because it's so clear from the Old to New Testament. But when you think, what does a shepherd actually do, it might get a little fuzzy. Like, what do the specific responsibilities of a shepherd entail? And that's what I want to just apply with you for a few minutes as we draw towards the end of this calling to be a shepherd of souls. And I want to look at four things with you over what we at Cornerstone Press specifically believe are the callings of an elder and the specific tasks that an elder has been given to caretake for the souls. God's people, and I'm borrowing or leaning heavily at least on a wonderful book that we use in officer training called Shepherd Leader by Timothy Whitmer. If you've not ever interacted with that book or if you have interest in knowing more about the office of elder, I commend it to you highly. It's sort of like our field manual here at Cornerstone. We pull it out regularly, in fact, every year to be reminded of what it is that God has called us to do. And in that book, Whitmer analyzes deeply the biblical tradition as well as the historical tradition of what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be an elder, what it means to be a shepherd of the flock of God. And he distills it down to four significant tasks. Now, the first of those tasks is knowing the sheep. The first thing that an elder must do is he must know the sheep that are entrusted to him. Now, that may seem like something that would be easy, but let me tell you, it's not so easy. In fact, I found out recently that it was very, very common in the ancient Near East during the first century where shepherds would regularly go to the same fields. There would be multiple flocks in the same fields that would often intermingle. And within those flocks, it was important that those sheep whose shepherd was their primary shepherd could literally hear the voice of their shepherd when it was time to go somewhere else so that the right amount of sheep, the right sheep, followed the right shepherd. Now, that's true even in our own day and time as we have folks who visit in our congregation. We have folks who are here for a period of time, and we have folks who transfer out and transfer in. There's moving and, and, and um, mobility that happens within a local body, and you may think, oh, it's very easy to be able to assess who the sheep are. It's not. It's not. And in fact, at Cornerstone, one of the most specific things that elders do is to be sure that we know what exactly is our membership. Think of the instruction that's here in Hebrews chapter 13. It, it, we are those who are to care for the souls of God's people as one who will give an account for them. Now, the question would be, if you're an elder, who do I give an account for? Is that every single soul that comes into this room at any given point or someone who plugs into the ministry? What does the, the delimitations of this flock actually look like? And that's why we use membership as such an important marker. 
Membership is the threshold where someone is saying to us and we are saying to them that they are wanting to join this congregation and we are desirous to shepherd them in their walk with the Lord. And so membership becomes this mark where through the five questions of church membership, a, a sheep is saying, I want to be a part of this fold. And the shepherd is saying, we desire to shepherd you into greater conformity to the image of Christ. We want to go with you to the green grass. We want to drink with you of the still waters. We want to see your soul restored more and more and more in the image of Christ. And so membership is crucial in knowing the sheep, but that's not where it stops. Of course, you've got to know the sheep corporately. You've got to have a sense for this body. In this room right here, there is a personality. In fact, those of you who've been here at Cornerstone for a little while, you know the difference between the first service and the second service. There's a difference. There's a, there's a different buzz in the second service than there is in the first service. You know why? You're still trying to wake up this morning. The second service, people have had several cups of coffee and they're ready to go in the second service. And we have a different dynamic that's happening in each of those services. There's an ethos, there's a personality to the way communities operate. And you know how you can be at a dinner party that has a certain personality and then that person shows up and changes the personality of the group. Elders have to be alert to these things. They have to be wise to what is the corporate nature and the dynamics of this particular body. They have to be able to diagnose and discern what are the weaknesses and the strengths of this body. What are the particular sin struggles of this community? What are actually the communities within the community? Because that's what's happening actually in every local congregation. There are communities within communities. And, and how do those communities intersect? And, and what's the level of peace? And what's the relationship? And where do the weaknesses and the challenges and the opportunities avail themselves? What's the vision and the direction that must be given to this particular corporate body? It's critical for elders to have a sense for the knowledge of the body of Christ in its corporate identity. But that's not it. Elders have to have knowledge of every individual sheep within the local body. We've got to know the stories in this room. We've got to know the hopes. We've got to know the struggles. We've got to know the, the, the dreams. We've got to have something of the backstory to understand the present story, to understand where the story might be unfolding. And we've got to get into the lives. Shepherds have to have the wisdom of stepping into the lives of the sheep and, and knowing in the best way that they can uh, what this sheep is all about and what has the Lord shaped this sheep for and how is the Lord at work that this sheep might grow in the best interest of the good shepherd. All right, those, are the, those, are, those are significant questions of knowing the sheep. Now, that's a significant calling. That's a significant calling. And it's a calling that you never check off the list. It's not as if, oh, we know the congregation now. We're done with that. Let's move on. It's an ongoing work. Now, this congregation has people coming in for the first time and people transferring to new places. You're in the constant work of knowledge of knowing the flock. And a good shepherd is paying attention to the knowledge of the sheep. But not only that, a good shepherd is secondly feeding the sheep. It's feeding the sheep. Paul says in verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. In 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for an elder are many, but one of them is the qualification of being able to teach, one who can communicate clearly the Word of God so that the people of God can feed on that Word. The Lord Jesus Christ in John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice, 
and they follow me. It's a speaking position. It's a position that looks to the Word of God, looks to the soul of His sheep, and speaks an apt word, the right word that God is communicating to them. There's a feeding of the sheep that is absolutely necessary. And it's the elder's responsibility to, to protect this pulpit, that the Word of God is preached from this pulpit, to protect the lecterns in the Sunday school classes, uh, to protect the seats and the circles in the home fellowship groups, that the Word of God is being honored, that people are feeding on that Word, they're, they're gaining nutritious, balanced diet from the Word of God. You know how easy it is to become imbalanced in your diet. I've never had this problem, you understand, but I understand there are people who are like this, that prefer to eat certain foods rather than others. I don't know if you have certain scriptures that you'd rather chew on than others. I do. And sometimes it's important for the broccoli and the Brussels sprouts of the Word of God to come out. And that the warnings of the admonitions, the imperatives and the instructions are side by side with the honeyed sweetness of the comforts of the promises of the gospel. Now, those two are not opposed to one another, but they're all Scripture is profitable and is given for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All of it. Every jot and tittle of it. And so we don't neglect any of it. And so that means at times we're going to say things that make your skin crawl. And they make our skin crawl. But we're only here to do the bidding of the Good Shepherd. And we trust Him. Not our own emotional sensibilities in the moment. And so we have to have a balanced diet of the Word of God and we have to protect the teaching of the Word of God within the flock of God. But thirdly, elders have to lead the sheep. They have to lead the sheep. In Psalm 23, David paints a picture of the Lord being our shepherd. He says, He leads me beside still waters. He guides me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. It's the same idea in John 10 where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and what happens? They follow me. There's a leading that naturally comes from the speaking. Here in Hebrews 13, 7, Paul says, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Ape, mimic, um, follow in the footsteps of. In the way that a child will often imitate parents. The, the desire is that as elders lead the sheep, the sheep catch a glimpse of what it's like to follow Christ. As they're hearing the words of God, they're being challenged deeply in their soul. But you know, one of the questions I get so much from the saints, from you, and one of the questions I often say for me is, I hear what God says, what does it mean to live it? What would it look like to live that? And don't we need models? Don't we need examples? I mean, this very week, I have started a, a podcast. It was actually last week I started a podcast for the men of Cornerstone. And some of you have been tuning into it. And we talked about the importance of spiritual mentors this week. And, and part of the reason my mind has been there is we've had Ligon Duncan here as a great mentor of mine in the past for the second Sunday of Advent back in December. And then we had Scotty Smith here last week and preached a wonderful gospel charge to us. And both of these men, differently gifted as they are, differently oriented as they are, both flow into the formation of who I am, so much so that I can't even think without these men in my head, for good or for bad. And that's the way it is. But, I, but through these men, I glimpsed what it was like to follow Christ. I didn't simply hear their words, though that was critical, critical, foundational, feeding the sheep, critical. 
But I got to see their manner, their way, their practices, their conduct. They opened up their life to me. So much so that my heart began to catch a sense for Christ. And my soul began to gain the impression of what it would be like to follow him. In, in this phrase here in, in, in uh, Hebrews 13, 7 of imitate their faith, it, scholars are all over the place as to what exactly it may mean. It can mean a couple of different things, and I think it means both. Imitate their faith in imitate the object of their faith. What is it they're trusting in? What is it they're trusting in? And the shepherd elders here at Cornerstone are trusting in the good shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imitate their faith. Follow me, Paul says, as I follow Christ. Now, what this means is that the, the elder who is genuinely eldering, who is shepherding in the way of the good shepherd, is not saying, come here, little sheep, I have all the answers. He's saying, come here, sheep, I know the one who has the answers. I point you to Christ. You see, a shepherd, an under-shepherd, is not one who says, I have the answers. He says, one, I know one who does, and I can take you to him. I have a well-worn path to get to him. My footprints are all over the path of running to the cross. I want to show you what it is that he can give you. I want to make much of him. What this means is that elders must have in their leadership gospel integrity. Gospel integrity. What is gospel integrity? Gospel integrity is that we are those who in faithful service only point to the Lord Jesus Christ and know the joy and the freedom and the humility of serving him and him alone as we care for the good of the church. And when we fail at that work, and by the way, we have and we will, when we fail, we make much of Christ. We repent quickly. We, we, in godly grief, turn from our sin. We make it public if necessary. We come to you specifically if we sinned against you. We make much of Christ whether we fail or whether we succeed. And in both cases, Christ is the object. He's the object of the faith. Now, if you're going to imitate their faith, imitate the object of their faith, but imitate the way in which that faith is conducted. The faithfulness of running to Christ. Sometimes we think we're not good at shepherding or caring because we make mistakes or we fall short or we're sinners. Let me tell you one, time, one way of faithful shepherding. This is true for moms and dads in this room, for you and your workplace, for any relationships that the Lord has given you. One of the faithful ways that we shepherd is to show that we're not Jesus Christ. We're not the Messiah. We're not the perfect shepherd. Only he is. And when we fail, we point everybody to him. And we can humbly in him reveal the fact that we are all in need of him. Do you see shepherds, under shepherds, elders? You know what we really are? We're sheep first. We're sheep first. It's not as if we, we lay aside all of our sheepdom to be able to become shepherds. We're still being led. We're still being led. And in our being led to Christ, we will oftentimes stumble rather than walk. And in the midst of that, even when we stumble, we want to point to Christ. And that's an example of what gospel integrity would look like. Fourthly and finally, we protect the sheep. We protect the sheep. It's a well-documented fact that sheep are vulnerable animals. 
and are prone to wonder and easily fall into danger. I'm not making this up. There was an Associated Press release just a little while back, not too long ago, in Turkey, where a large flock of sheep, where I got the same actually point, about 26 families combined together in this herd of sheep. Um, The sheep got out of their fence. The sheep began to fall, head towards a cliff. One by one, the sheep walked off the the cliff. Most of them, 450 of them, dying instantly on impact until the pile, literally this, look this up, until the pile was so large that the sheep that continued to fall were buoyed by the wool and everything that was below that they survived. It was was over 1,500 sheep that fell off the cliff. Now you would think, okay, well, I just saw my friend, you know, kind of, (laughs) right? I mean, I just, that didn't, I shouldn't, I'm going to stay over here. You know, I'm going to hang out right here. For whatever reason, the sheep did not draw that conclusion and went exactly where the other sheep have been. Now, let me just tell you, when the Bible calls a sheep, it's, it's, not, it's not giving us a compliment. You understand? It's teaching us that we are, and it's really important for us to own this together as a community, we are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You, th- you think of, you know, you've made a decision about what you're going to do and then someone whispers in your ear at a dinner party, and you go, oh, maybe I'll do that. And, oh, I read this on, online. And maybe, well, I think I might, you know. A lot of our lives look like that. And the realization is that shepherds, those sheep, are to be listening so closely to the voice of the Lord that when those other voices come in from all over the place, the ravenous wolves, even the cultural wolves, They come in through media portals and all else. When they're coming in and the congregation and the people of the congregation are being swayed in one direction, that they're holding the tide by listening to the voice of Jesus and guiding the flock. His rod and his staff, they comfort me, David says. They're means of of both discipline and the means of guidance and instruction. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Acts 20, one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament as he's saying goodbye to the elders at Ephesus who he loved so deeply, so much. He was there probably the longest of any of his stints in one location because Paul was always on the go, but he stayed three years in Ephesus. He learned to love those elders and love that congregation very deeply. When Paul is about to get on a ship and push off from the shoreline, this is the final words that he speaks to those elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Because you're sheep still. Remember that. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're going to come in from the outside. False teachers, influences. They're going to lead the sheep astray. And then notice this. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. From outside and from inside, there is a struggle to keep sheep focused upon the voice of the Good Shepherd and headed in the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we consider these four tasks of the elder, uh, to, to know and to feed, to lead and to protect the sheep, what is the response briefly of, of the member? And it's three quick things. Obey your leaders. 
Pray for your leaders. Remember your leaders. Now, let's put this in context. Obey, even as uh, Tony noted in the confession, is one of those words that just doesn't sit well with a lot of us because we just rather do it our own way. Let me tell you, um, we are those who obey the voice of Jesus. And it is a characteristic of a believer in him who loves to hear, who can say with David, I delight in the law of the Lord. Loves his commands. His commands are not restrictive. His commands don't grate against our sensibilities of who we want to be. His commands, if we could put it this way, are the fence posts and the, the boundary markers through which freedom and joy develop. And so when we are shepherding, when the elders of this local congregation are shepherding according to the word of God, they're merely calling you into obedience for your own joy and development and maturity in Christ. That's their only goal. That's their sole goal. And so when we're in that place, the the scripture says here, Hebrews 13, obey your leaders. They they are keeping watch over your souls. They're going to have to give an account for your soul. It's on their shoulders. Obey your leaders and, and do so so that they don't do it with groaning but with joy. You do it with joy when they think of your name, joy. You think of your name, happiness. Thrilled about how the Lord is working. That's, what, that's the point that Paul is making here. Obey your leaders. But then he says pray for us. Pray for us, making sure that everything that we do is honorable in all things. Pray for us because, let me tell you, no one is prepared or qualified to do this work. There's not one of us that's prepared or qualified to do this work. If you think you are, you're definitely not qualified. If you know that you're not qualified, you might have a chance to be qualified. You see, the beginning is knowing that we live under the power and the work of Christ and Him alone. So that's what we've got to, we need your prayers. We need your prayers. Please go to the Lord on our behalf. And then thirdly, this is our prayer that you would remember your leaders. Now, in context here in Hebrews 13, there have been those pastor teachers who have died in their midst. And the apostle Paul here is actually saying, remember what they said to you, they've gone away. Remember their lives, they've gone away. And I don't know about about you, but when I'm often thinking about what it means to follow Christ and maybe making efforts and goals and and practices that are striving in that direction by his grace when i'm doing that you know who i'm often thinking of my shepherds the men who have poured into my life the women who have poured into my life who have shown me what it's like to follow christ and i think lord make me more like them what can i do this year that i would be more like them because they when i see them i see the resemblance of you I see the resemblance of you. We would love nothing more than by God's grace that the elders would live in such a way that when you remember them, even long after they're gone, a smile will come across your face. An encouragement, maybe even a tear dot in the corner of your eye. I remember when he said those words. I remember when he rushed in. I remember when he said that hard thing that I just didn't like. I'm glad he said it. That's our prayer. And so be patient and pray for us. Because the task is much larger than any of us can do. But thankfully, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And by His Spirit, He's in the heart of your elders and He's in your heart. And He leads us to where our souls are restored. 
in newness of life with him. That's our prayer this year as we walk together. Let's pray to that end. Father, please confirm this truth upon our hearts and lift us up by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.